The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's time for the critically acclaimed, much anticipated, Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you again from, uh, you know, beautiful Maui, Hawaii, and uh, uh, hope you're doing well and everybody else is doing well out there. And, uh, you know, I just heard that Bono and the Edge walked into the bar, and uh, the, the barman says, uh, oh, no, not you two again. Thank you very much. Goodbye. That's a good one. <laughs> and a true story from Vegas. So probably not exactly what the bartender said with Bono on the Edge walked into the local bar there last week. But thank you, Duff, for sending it all the way from Maui. And if you want more rock and roll laughs, then keep listening because I got, oh, man, he's hilarious. The original Kiss guitar player, Ace Fraley, is here today, the spaceman. And he's uh, pretty spaced out at times. He's got some hilarious stories about his days on the road with Kiss. Drinking with everyone from the New York Yankees to Nick Nolte. And Steve Brown is back on Talk is Jericho as well. Steve produced Ace Frehley's new record, 10,000 Volts. Ace's highly uh, anticipated new solo record. Steve engineered it, co-wrote the songs with Ace, produced it all the way. They talk about how this project came together, what it was like to write and record at Steve's studio, what inspired some of the tunes and some of the classic Ace guitar solos on this record. You'll hear Steve say it a couple times, and I completely agree. This is the best Ace Fraley record since his 1978 solo record. Uh, it came out today, 10,000 volts. Get it wherever you buy and stream music. Ace is touring as well. He's going to play some Kiss songs like he always does. Gives us a sneak peek at the set list coming up. Dates start next month. Go to acefraley.com for all the ticket info. And speaking of Kiss, you'll hear how Ace feels about Gene and Paul playing the very last Kiss show without him. Peter Chris, Bruce Kulick, or any former Kiss members. So here we go. Ace Fraley, Steve Brown, and 10,000 volts right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Ace Fraley is here, and Steve Brown is here. Was here. Was here. He's pretty back shortly. What, what kind of a pro is that? He waits till we get on the air before he goes to get a water. Come on, Steve. <laughs> no short jokes. I just heard that. <laughs> New record, 10,000 volts. What makes a person want to become a wrestler? <laughs> Probably the same thing that makes a person want to get into a rock and roll band. I don't know. I agree with that statement. <laughs> well, we love we love to be abused. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, if it's by a trick, yeah, but not by a guy. <laughs> Let's talk about this new record, man. Ten thousand volts. Great stuff. Probably my favorite record of yours, Ace, since the '80s, since the Trouble Walking, that era. Yeah. Obviously, you're very excited about it, as everybody is. Uh, let's talk about how this came to be and working with Steve Brown. Because you guys are kind of the uh, toxic twins here on this record. We got, you know, Ace and I have known each other for 30 years, you know, as I've known all the guys in Kiss. Long story short, you know, a couple of years ago, Tokyo Motor Fist opened a couple shows for Ace and the guys. And uh, his, uh, his fiance, Lara, who is a Jersey girl, grew up with PJ and I, PJ Farley, you know, your Fozzie yeah. bass player and my trickster brother. Um, Laura is a Jersey girl and, and she was kind of saying to Ace, man, Ace, I think it's a great idea. You and Steve should get together and his, his, uh, co-manager, John and Phil, who's his production manager, who used to work for Trickster 30 years ago was saying you should get together with Steve. So it was kind of like, 
it was definitely something in the air and telling this guy that he should be working with me. Needless to say, I'm always in the studio, Chris, you know that, always working on something. Yeah. And I came up with a couple ideas. Finally, uh, about a year and a half ago, I sent him like four or five ideas. Without fail, he loved them. And within a week yeah. of, you know, I think it was like September of last year, 2022, we were here in this studio working on the first idea that I brought to him, the song Walking on the Moon, which uh, set the tone for the brand new record, you know, because as you know, the record was going to be called Walking on the Moon, but we uh, changed it to 10,000 volts. But the chemistry was immediate and the song was immediate. And what's really cool about it was basically what you hear on the record now was what we recorded that first day that we worked together. And that really goes to show you how immediate the chemistry was and how good it was. Ace, how was it for you working with, with Steve collaborating? Because I'm, I'm sure mostly you, do, you were doing it on your own for the last few records. Steve made everything really easy for me. You know, he told me his two favorite idols when he was growing up was me and Eddie Van Halen. God rest his soul. Mm. So he was just thrilled to be working with me. And I was thrilled when I realized what a good songwriter, singer, guitarist, and engineer. Because, you know, in all my past records, not only did I have, a, in many cases, a song, close songwriter with me in a room, we'd always have an engineer. But with Steve, I don't have to pay for an engineer because he's been engineering on Pro Tools for 30 plus years. Yeah. Right. So you just got to show up and play and not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and the other cool thing is, Chris, you know, Ace and I live, we're 45 minutes away from each other in Jersey here, you know, in the in the mountains of New Jersey, if you can believe <laughs> that. But it's the truth. And it made our working environment. And you listen, dude, you make records. You know how it is. You know, when you're comfortable in the studio, let alone when you're in your own house, it mm -hmm. makes life a lot easier when you could literally, for in Ace's case, a lot of the days we work together, roll out of bed, come down to the studio, and I got the track up, and I go, Ace, have another cup of coffee, clear the, clear your throat, <laughs> and we're going to sing two songs today in your pajamas. That's a, that's a good way to make records. And it's the same thing. You know, and Chris, this all goes back. I still to, wear my pajamas. Yeah, there you go. Oh, he is wearing his pajamas. <laughs> with, with, with little bears on it. Yeah. I don't have any pants on. Just it's so like perfect. Know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Hand drop, but, but I don't know. About that. <laughs> But really, you know, again, this, this goes back to, you know, the Ed Van Halen 5150s reasoning of building his own studio where you want to be able, as musicians, somebody like myself who's constantly writing, it never stops in my head. I want to have that freedom to where if an idea strikes at three o'clock in the morning, I can run down to my basement and record it. And so a cool story about walking on the moon was after we worked the first day, we were so kind of inspired and this guy was through the moon, no pun intended, but he actually called me up the next day in my ace impression. He goes, Steve, I came up with this bridge for the song. I woke up three o'clock in the morning. I ran down in the studio and I recorded it. Now he couldn't record all the parts. Like he couldn't cut it into the song we had. So he actually like took part of the drums, Jordan Kanata's drums, and he made a loop and he recorded his own guitars and his own vocals, which are on the record right now. I had the fine job of taking what he did and having to fit it in and cut and paste. It was a little bit of work, but it was so cool in that in that sense that this is the true sense of having your own recording studio that at three o'clock in the morning, Ace was able to come down and he recorded four vocal parts or different guitars, which we were able to use on the finished product. Hmm. Well, in reality, I can edit. It's just that I'm a lot slower than Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I would much rather let Steve do the editing because he's more precise and he's a lot faster. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so much easier and faster to make records now than it used to be like in the 70s and 80s, Ace. What, what are some of the biggest differences for you? Like you mentioned, you can just record something and then, and then Steve can put it in there. You couldn't do that in the past. I mean, I was just telling a different interviewer, you know, in the 70s, it was all two-inch tape. 
mm-hmm. working with guys like Eddie Kramer, Bob Ezrin, Vinnie Poncia. Every time we had to do an edit, you know, we'd have the uh, assistant engineers. We'd rock the tape, find the spot, cut it with a razor blade, then put a piece of tape on it. And hopefully it was the right thing. Yeah. But sometimes it wasn't. And then we have to do another quarter inch sliver and put it on the side. It, it was painstaking. Once they invented Pro Tools, forget about it. It's a click of the mouse. You highlight the section you don't want, you hit delete. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the cool things, Chris, is, you know, with Ace, he's still records in sort of an old school way because yeah there are some let's say some of the guitar solos on the record that you can obviously hear that are very worked out you know Mm. that's one of the things ace and i really wanted to go to accomplish was to get back to you know let's say the 78 solo record or the the classic kiss records those iconic memorable composition guitar solos that he was so known for Mm. I think he kind of got away from over the last, let's say, 20 years in some of his solo records. You know, there's always hints of his brilliance. But on this record, you know, as a fellow guitar player, you know, I was able to sit with him, me and him with a guitar. Is and I would, hat? What's that? Does that say Foghat? No, it says Fast and Furious. <laughs> now he's handing me his DVD collection. <laughs> Make sure you keep the dirty movies to the side, dude. Oh, they're but, locked away. Yeah, they're locked away. But, you know, so what I was saying is, but there were other times, you know, where the song Constantly Cute, which was a song that we did a really intricate, punched in, composed guitar solo. I thought it was cool as hell. I still, I'm still hoping we're able to maybe possibly release a version of it. But he didn't like the solo. He goes, it sounds too comp. It sounds this. He goes, Is that the one I did too country? Well, yeah, you did. Well, country, you know. Yeah. It was was awesome. And and we're going to release a version of that because I really think it's really cool. Long story short, he was like, nah, I'm going to put my Les Paul on. I'm going to do this. You know, again, the ace ace impression. (laughs) He picked up his guitar. I plugged it in. He goes, let. Let, and he still says, let the tape roll. You know, <laughs> even though there's no tape, he's still got that. But he rattled off two solos that both of them were fantastic. We maybe had to fix one or two parts of it, but it was old school recording. And that's the way he does his vocals. You know, he's not one of these guys who's really, his mind is not wired to where, okay, I'm going to punch in every phrase. I would just say to him, Ace, sing the song all the way through. Get as far as you can. You know, Chris, from making records, mm. you do that and you get moments of brilliance there, which retains that, let's say, old school and gives you a real performance as opposed to this mechanical, you know, sort of bullshit way of making records. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Ace, obviously you're, you're a guitar player first and foremost, but as Steve mentioned, you're, you're a singer as well. And you have a very distinct, unique voice. When you're recording, do you, do you have to warm up a lot to get in that, into that vibe? You just go in there and just bang it out and do your thing? I just get up and sing. Yeah. You know, usually if I sing a uh, lead vocal three times through, the third one is always the best because my voice is warming up while I'm singing, you know? Mm-hmm. It takes, you know, usually 10 minutes for my voice to start warming up, you know? And uh, as I sing, the more I sing, you know, the better my voice sounds. So, you know, we'll usually end up taking, uh, you know, the third or fourth take, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, Chris, this is where we were. And I was basically sitting right where I am with Pro Tools in front, you know, with the track. And Ace would be standing back there and he'd be just like, you know, kind of feed me a little melody. And I would I would go, hey, sing, you know, you, you, you saved me from disaster. And then he would get on the mic and he would just sing it. We would do three or four. And, you know, 90 percent of the time it was right on the money. So 
One thing Eddie Kramer was completely obliterated by was the fact that when I would double my vocals, I would insist on not hearing the old vocal. Hmm. For some reason, when I sing a song, I mentally memorize the phrasing. I can do three separate vocals, and 99% of the time, the melody matches. You know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's got his ability to double his voice as, as a singer is, is impeccable. He really has it. He's got great timing. And, um, you know, again, we hit it off and the energy and the enthusiasm was there. And I can't stress enough how important it was that, you know, we have fun making this record because making records is supposed to, you know, have your emotion, your heart and soul into it. And when you hear somebody who is having fun, like the old Van Halen records, like the Kiss records, you hear that in the finished product, man. You know, you hear the emotion. and There was you know, no fucking idiot producer, you know in another room behind glass saying, hey, uh, you're not doing that right. It's not sounding good enough. You know, <laughs> you. No, you know? the only two idiot producers were right here. <laughs> but man, you know, again, that was the coolest thing because as we're laughing now, it's like what we would do making the record. And, you know, I had to sometimes, of course, there were moments where, you know, and I know I texted you and PJ a couple times making this record where I'd be shaking my head going, I can't believe I'm making a record with Ace Frehley right now. Mm -hmm. Ace Ace Frehley. But at the end of the day, we were having so much fun and it's infectious. And the energy continued on through the record. Don't don't let that fool you. We had our arguments, you know. You know, he's been making records for 50 years, so he'd be sitting we there. We never really had arguments. We had disagreements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, argument, disagreement, tomato, tomato. But there would be times where he didn't maybe want to record and he didn't want to work. And and I'd be like, man, we got to do this. We got a record to make. And he'd be like, ah, I don't feel like singing that. And I'd be like, no, motherfucker, you got to push yourself. You got to sing this. He'd go, that's too high for me. And I go, no, it's not. You got to just try. Push, man, get it out. And nine out of 10 times, we would get it and he would laugh at me. I never really thought I was going to be able to sing that song, uh, Life of a Stranger, Hmm. simply because the chorus modulates twice. I said to myself, you know, by the time it gets to the second modulation, it's going to be out of my pitch. And Steve goes, Ace, you're going to be able to do it. Just trust me. Yeah. And, you know, he's working the board. I'm at the microphone, and uh, we just pulled it off. No auto tuning. <laughs> I think that I was reading. I, you know, you know, we got over seven hundred and fifty thousand views on YouTube, and you know, I'm reading some of the comments. Oh, Ace auto tuned a lot of his vocals. Bullshit. There was yeah. absolutely no auto tuning. Yeah. So what you hear is what you get. Yeah. And again, it was just a matter of getting him. In the right mindset, and every song that we did, we started, the first song we wrote for the record was Walking on the Moon. Then we went to Fighting for Life, which is one of my personal favorites on the record. And that was one that took a little convincing. Hmm. Every song, when then I would take it and I would make a rough mix of it, because my rough mixes are pretty much, they sound, you know, pretty close to what the final is. And then he would have this smile on his face and the both of us, the confidence in each other just kept growing. And then we finally started sending some stuff to the record label Monarch, who have been just in, you know, just so supportive and they're blown away by everything. The president called Ace and was like, Ace, this is the best thing you've ever done for us, at least. And so every song, Chris, our confidence level just keep kept growing and growing. You know, by the time we got the Cherry Medicine and 10,000 Volts, which I think were like the fourth and fifth songs that we did on this record, we both looked at each other, man, and we knew we had something that was extra special. It wasn't just good. It was great. Mm-hmm. That really was the goal. And then we set when you know, you know, for making records, dude, when you set the bar, when you get to a level, like when we got done with 10,000 volts, I looked at him and I said, dude, there's no turning back now. Yeah. After we recorded Cherry Medicine and Steve did a really good rough mix of it, you know, Laura is constantly, my fiance has girlfriends coming over 
She, you know, she's still friends with all her girls' friends she went to high school with. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes Jersey three or four girls, girls, Jersey girls, they come baby. over and eventually they end up down in the studio and I play them three or four rough mixes. And absolutely all of them always said, Cherry Medicine is the one. Mm. But we're saving that for the release date of the record. Yeah. That's going to be the third single. And we're going to spend more money on that than any of the other videos. Mm -hmm. Shooting uh, Walking on the Moon on the 19th was just going to be a little more sillier. Cherry Medicine, we're going to have, you know, girls dressed up in black leather, you know, because you remember <laughs> that line. You make yeah. me feel better yeah. when you're in your black, <laughs> black leather. That's Where'd right. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? That was, you I know, don't know. Obviously, a nod to shock me. Shock me, of course. Of course. And I was like, you know, we were working on the song. We were coming up with these lyrics, and we both kind of, I stumbled. I'm like, man, make me feel better when you're in your black leather. And he, like, kind of looked at me and gave me a nod. And I was like, dude, this is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, you and I did when we Fabulous. were. Like, yeah, man. Steve is obviously so enthusiastic about this project, Ace. Did that rub off on you and, and make you want to do even better for him and, and for the record? Well, you know, I'm older now, and, you know, I slowed down a little. I'll be the first to admit I'm a little lazy. <laughs> I don't practice maybe as much as I should, but I have been practicing more, and Steve has been on my case, and it's good because sometimes I need somebody to push me. Not only practice, but, you know, try to make the songs better and come up with parts that will improve or enhance the songs that we've already recorded that are still in its infancy. You know, again, Chris, this goes back years ago to everything that I have ever done. I can't half-ass anything, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. When we got into this, I said to him, I looked him in the eye and I said, dude, if you trust me 100%, I promise you we will make the best record since the 78 solo record that you've ever made, the best record you've made in the last 30 years. And then along with that, now we're working on, you know, the new live show, we're rewriting the set list and everything. Mm. But the other cool thing is though this guy is one of my heroes, like Eddie Van Halen was, and I was friends with Ed, you know, yeah. I've never been intimidated by any rock star meeting any of my idols. I've been around rock royalty all my life, so I'm not afraid to tell somebody, dude, you're sucking right now, or this ain't good enough. We need mm -hmm. to do better. You need to do better. And I've said numerous times about making this record. This is for us, but this record is for all the Kiss fans, for all the Ace Fraley fans, and for all for rock and roll in general. Any rock and roll because, fans gonna love this record. Yeah, because more than anything. It just goes to show you that a guy at 72 years old can still kick ass and still cares about making great music and cares about playing live. And Chris, I know you and I have spoken so much a couple times about the new Rolling Stones record. Yeah. Those guys are 80 years old and they've made the best record they've made in 30 years. So that just goes to show you that age is irrelevant, but sometimes bringing in the new element whether the Stones, Andrew Watt, or yep. working with Ace, that's the X factor that sometimes these older rockers need, you know? And I'm hoping that I'm able to work on some other, let's say, legacy act records, because I know I could make great records with just about any band. The last interview I just did, the, the gentleman said to me, so talk to me about when you're going to retire. And I said... <laughs> I don't have any plans of retiring in the near future. You know, I have really good genes and I have longevity on both sides of my family. You know, you talk, I'm talking about into the 90s. I'm going till the wheels fall off. That's right, baby. You know? And once the wheels fall off, I'll still be able to sit in a chair and produce and do computer graphics and do all sorts of stuff. I'm not concerned about that and... I'm in better health now than I was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, I was looking at photographs of me when I was drinking a lot and I'm all bloated. You know, my skin is broken out a little. Mm. I'm down to 174 pounds. It took me a year and a half to get there. But, you know, I'm the same weight that I was when I did the reunion tour. Mm. 
back in 76, 96, right? 96, right, right, right. I feel great. You know, I get up, I have a cup of coffee, I check my messages, and then I start doing some exercises. Last but least, I'm down here in the studio listening, working, checking out what other people are doing, see how it compares to our stuff. Right. In reality, you know, we're going up against other people. Are you pleasantly surprised by the reaction to 10,000 volts? You mentioned 750,000 views and all that sort of thing. People are really excited about the song and about the record. How does that make you feel, Ace? I've never had that before, so I'm thrilled. You know, a million views and uh, streams on Spotify, a million views on uh, TikTok. I never even knew what TikTok was, you know, but my, my stepdaughter, she's 20, and, you know, she's been on TikTok for years since it started. I'm on TikTok, and I'm reading the uh, the comments, and... It's a lot of young girls who were going, oh, he's so pretty, he's so cute. And usually it's because they're looking at videos of me when I was in my 20s and 30s, <laughs> before I got all puffy and bloated. He's always cute. And he's just like, constantly cute. Constantly cute. Yes. Laura, my fiance, came up with that title. We were in a conversation. I'm looking at photographs of me from my 20s to present. I'm saying, you know, I'm starting to show my age, you know, my neck, bada bing, bada boom. I don't know if I should get another facelift. And she said, <laughs> you're constantly cute. And then I stopped her in her tracks because she kept on talking. I go, wait a minute. Constantly cute is an amazing song title. I called up Steve. He came over within a day or two and we wrote constantly cute. We did. And then we got Laura to sing on the pre-chorus and the chorus background vocals. Mm -hmm. That was one of that was one of the hardest songs on the record to work on because that was the one that it was definitely a sort of Def Leppard-esque Mutt Leppard yeah. thing to where we started out when Ace came up with the title and he said, come on, work up a track for it. The original idea of the song, it was like double time. I wanted to do something like ball blitz or i want you to want me oh yeah and it was you know you're constantly cute dun, dun, you know like that mm -hmm. and it was like immediately and i knew it might be a tough sell for him but i was like come on man let's go for this and he was like nah he just couldn't get past it and he kept saying it sounds too country <laughs> but again we reconstructed the song and it, i'll never forget man you remember we went we went to see the Casablanca movie, Spinning Gold. Oh, right, yeah. We went to see that, and he goes, come on, we're going to go back to the house. Ken was here. We're going to come back to the house, and we started working. And I swear to God, he goes, this is what we're going to do. He pulls out this drum machine. It was probably from, like, 1992. <laughs> and Ace starts programming, like, watching this guy. But he came up. He basically pulled it in half, and he, he had this drum groove in, in his mind. That he wanted, and he programmed it. And then we called Joey Casada, of course, the great mm -hmm. Joey who played drums on it, and basically said, "This is the groove we want." We reworked the song, and again, it was one of those things where it wasn't an argument because I was, of course, still going, "Nah, man, let's try." You've never had a song that tempo, so I wanted to try yeah, to but, bring in, you know, uh, "Fighting for Life" is pretty fast. That's, That's a fast tune, man. The fastest song on the record. Yeah, but yeah. again, his instinct and, again, the mutual respect and trust. I said, you know what? You're right. Let's do this. And Constantly Cute has turned out to be one of the, a lot of the people who've heard the record, they go, that's one of my favorite songs on the record. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, you mentioned being such a huge Ace fan and such a huge Kiss fan, Steve. What kind of tidbits and stories did Ace kind of tell you over the course of recording that you were blown away by? Because I'm sure he's a great storyteller. I'm sure he told you some pretty cool little tidbits and facts. 
Yeah, I mean, book two. Yeah, book two. Oh, yeah, we can't give it away, Chris. He's writing <laughs> another book, and I'm the I'm the co I'm the ghost writer. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, man. I mean, you know, it was always you know these stories. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I can tell you, a lot of stuff I can't tell you. Well, what about what about the you you mentioned Van Halen and Kiss? What about yeah. the relation between Van Halen and Kiss? Well, you know, Gene Simmons discovered Van Halen. Right. And he designed the logo for them, which was absurdly ridiculous. It was like an insect with platform <laughs> shoes, and he wanted to call the band Daddy Longlegs. <laughs> he has no street sense, and it's not his fault because he came from Israel. He told me he learned how to speak English, for the most part, reading comic books. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love Gene. Me and Gene used to room together. And I remember the last time I, I text, I sent him an email. Do you remember when they were playing down in Ecuador or something and he collapsed on stage? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I immediately sent him an email and he got back to me within five or 10 minutes and said, Ace, I was dehydrated. We're playing a concert in the jungle at 106 degrees, high humidity. Right. I didn't hydrate myself enough. I said, oh, great. I'm glad you're okay. You know, because, you know, me and Gina are like, you know. Yeah, good friends. Yeah. So talk about, so Gene discovered Van Halen with the daddy long legs. Yeah. Oh, that I was didn't always, finish the story. I always yeah. go off on tangents. <laughs> That's right. They're all good stories. We discovered that. And uh, I said to him, he showed it to me and I said, I'm not so sure about this. And then uh, I guess uh, when he showed it to uh, Eddie and his brother. Alex. Yeah, he showed it to those guys because I think those guys pretty much make the decisions, right? Yeah, certainly. So to make a long story short, I think they kind of strayed away from Gene and realized he really wasn't uh, on the same page as they were. But, you know, we befriended them. They came, they showed up at a couple of our rehearsals. I mean, I'll never forget saying to Paul, who are these fucking idiots here? <laughs> yeah, but one of the coolest, so one of the coolest stories <laughs> he told me, yeah, who are these idiots? But he told me about the time when they came to New York City, when Gene flew them up and they were doing the showcase for Bill Coin, And the, these guys were rehearsing at SIR. Remember, they were rehearsing and Van Halen came and they did their audition on Kiss's gear. Oh, wow. I remember what you told me when you and Paul were standing there. I don't even remember. But you told me, you like, you got to get these guys off stage. They're too fucking good. You know, <laughs> you remember seeing what he told me when he right. saw Eddie play. Eddie's an amazing guitarist. I mean, I can't even attempt to do some of the solos he, do- he does. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But I will say, when it comes to the tapping part, he was in the pit at Madison Square Garden watching me tap during my guitar solo, and I used the guitar pick instead of a finger. But he took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Some of his solos are going to go down in history as some of the greatest guitar solos ever in rock and roll. As if they haven't already. <laughs> uh, Just like I mean. some aces, man. You know, again... But uh, that was one of the cool stories. That was at the L.A. Forum. I remember him. I remember Ed actually telling me that story when they were backstage and they were hanging out with you, drinking your beers and shit and probably doing other things with you. And that was the funny story, I think. What other thing? What? What? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> what were you guys? What other things would a band like <laughs> Van Halen be doing backstage uh, in the, the 70s? White, it was the happy powder. Yeah, Peruvian parking <laughs> powder. The highest grade. But that I think that was a funny story because I remember Gene, I think, put Eddie and Alex on a separate guest list. And Dave went down to go to get his tickets and his name wasn't on the guest list or something. I think he told that story in his book. But, you know, Ace, were you were you a big Hendrix guy? Because there's a lot of Hendrix in your in your playing. Was I a big Hendrix fan? When I was 16, I would walk around high school with the Are You Experienced album under my arm. <laughs> I had to have it with me so I could stare at the picture. And I love the black and white shot on the back. And it's backlit so you can see the three afros. <laughs> I mean, it was genius. And then in 1970, uh, there was a peace concert on Randall's Island. I don't know if you know where that is. I don't. It's between Queens and Manhattan. Okay. Small island. Yeah. And they had... a a lot of huge big names performing, Mountain, Steppenwolf, 
I can't remember all the names, but they were p- bands in that category. And of course, Hendrix was performing. I had hair down to here. I had a black T-shirt on with a snakeskin star. My mom had sewed on. I was wearing <laughs> lemon yellow hot pants and Vans. And I was watching the bands that had performed coming out to watch some of the other bands that were going to perform. You know, in those days, nobody had laminates or stick-ons. Mm-hmm. I just walked backstage and I looked at the guy and he looked at me, assuming I'm a rock star because I <laughs> did look like one. And he let me walk in backstage. So I'm sitting there talking to John Kay and a couple of the other bands that were there, uh, there hanging out. After about 20 minutes, people started going, oh, who is this guy? <laughs> Finally, you know, the stage director and uh, the producer of the concert came up to me and said, who the fuck are you? I go, I'm nobody. I just snuck backstage. He goes, well, let me ask you a question. Can you do anything? I go, I can change strings. I can tune guitars. I can set up drums. I can set up amps. He goes, you know, we're a little short on personnel because it was a free peace concert. So within five minutes, I'm setting up Mitch Mitchell's drum. From the Jimi Hendrix experience, Hendrix was one. I idolized Hendrix like you wouldn't believe, because nobody, even from to this day, nobody plays like Hendrix did. Right. He used to string a strat backwards because he played lefty. There, there will be no one ever to play like Hendrix. He was a wonderful guy musician. Anyway, I'm setting up Mitch Mitchell's drums. Do you remember the time? Remember when Mitch Mitchell dropped the Afro look? grew it long and wore a headband. Yeah. Well, that had just happened, and I wasn't aware of that look. So I'm setting up the drums with an English roadie, and this other guy comes over, and I didn't think it was Mitch Mitchell because I didn't recognize the image. The drum roadie says to the other guy, the guy that I didn't know who it was, he goes, hey, Mitch, which snare drum are you going to use tonight? And then I just froze. I go, I can't believe it. Here I am setting up Mitch Mitchell's drums with Mitch Mitchell and an English guitar roadie. I was like frozen. I I couldn't talk to them, but uh, I was helping them finish setting up the drums. You know, then after the show, you know, Hendrix gave me a high five (laughs) and helping out. And uh, eventually I stayed to the very end and I had no car or transportation to get home. This is my luck. I put my hand out and the car leaving stopped and said, where are you going? I go, I go go to the Bronx around 200 Street. They go, oh, we're going five minutes away from there. Jump in. (laughs) You can't make this shit up. Oh, it's the best. (laughs) I want to know, did did Hendrix go when he was walking off stage? He goes, hey, man, thanks for helping my drummer out. It was groovy. (laughs) He goes, thanks for helping out. High five. What did he say? Hey, man, are you experienced? <laughs> I could bullshit like that, but, I, you know, I got to tell the truth. Most people don't believe that story anyway. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Ace, let's talk about, about Kiss at the peak in, in the 70s. and just Because I don't think people realize just how fucking big the band was as far as just everybody was into Kiss. What do you remember about that? Because you started out and you guys worked your way up the ladder. And then when it hit in 76, it was massive. I remember landing in in, in Tokyo airport and there were 5,000 kids waiting for us. And the most insane thing, and it was a big, huge pain in the ass, is Bill O'Coin, my manager, said, you guys got to put on your makeup in the bathroom of the plane. Mm -hmm. So when you land, you have the makeup on. We can throw on costumes or whatever. We get off the plane and the Japanese passport control says, 
They were looking at our passports and looking at us, and they go, <laughs> we don't know who you are. We had to go in another room, take off our makeup, <laughs> they have the guy look at us, and then we had to go back in another room and put the makeup back on. <laughs> this is after a 15-hour flight. Right. So I wasn't in any fucking mood to do that. But I did it for the sake of the Japanese fans. We walked out. They attacked us. I mean, they even jumped on the hood of the limo and, and started to crush. Hmm. But it was um, Japan was amazing the first time we went. It was positively amazing. It was like the Beatles coming to America. Right. And talk about how important it was to keep your faces hidden. It was such a big deal. Like I'm sure people were always trying to get photos of your guys' faces. You know, Bill O'Coin said, look, let's do something special and not reveal what we look like. We'll be like the mystery band, you know, just like the, uh, who was the comedian that wore a bag over his head? The unknown comic. The, the unknown comic. comic. Yeah, it was kind of something similar to that. It was great. Most of the times I could walk around, go shopping. When I was off tour, nobody would know who the hmm. fuck I was. I mean, I looked like a musician, but, you know, right. nine times out of ten, nobody bothered me. But I'll never forget one night I was in a rock and roll club and I met this gorgeous broad. I told her, hey, you know, by the way, on the side, I'm Ace Fairley from Kiss. And she goes, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to pull out all my idea to get this trick to come home with me. <laughs> I'm pulling out my driver's license and this and that cards of me. He finally picked up a guitar and started singing Shock Me. And that's the <laughs> no, I, I didn't go that far. But I ended up getting her. Her name was Adrian. <laughs> Adrian! Hey, you Adrian, yeah. <laughs> well, that was the downside, but the upside it, it was pretty good at most times because we could go. I mean, when I go to Manhattan right now, I, I get bombarded by people. Can I get a picture? Can I, get, you know, can I get a photograph? It's just, but that was great. That was great, except for what I just mentioned. So I want to know, I want to know, what was it like when Alive finally broke? That was the record that sent you guys to superstardom. Now, yeah, what was that feeling like? What was it? It, it all happened like? so fast. I felt like I was on a runaway roller coaster and couldn't get off. Hmm. Because we went from playing in the Midwest, even on the East Coast, to 25, 3,000 theaters, except for Detroit, where we played Cobo Hall. For some reason, mm -hmm. a lot of people thought Kiss was from Detroit because we spent so much time there. I'm going to go off on a tangent again, but your fans are going to want to hear the story. Me and Peter Chris went down to the bar at the Hilton, and lo and behold, I had no idea the Yankees were in town. So I sit down at the bar next to Mickey Mantle <laughs> and Whitey Ford, Roger Maris, and Billy Martin. Me and Peter proceeded to get drunk with them. And it was one of my most fond memories. And I'm kicking myself in the ass why I didn't get autographs. But I know how it feels to be bothered constantly by people asking me for autographs. So I told the guys I was from the Bronx. They loved that. Because, you know, Yankee Stadium. Right. Man, that is all. I never heard that story. That's <laughs> right, man. That must have been, I'm guessing that was probably old timers day. Cause in yeah. the 70s, right, 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 right. You know, those dudes like to drink. So I'm sure it was a <laughs> beer for beer, shot for shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I could drink most people under the table. But not those guys. No way. <laughs> Baseball players in the 70s, man, they hit it pretty hard. Dude, you hang out with wrestlers. Those guys can really drink. What? I saw a thing yesterday. Andre the Giant <laughs> yeah. drank It gets, it gets more every time. It gets more every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. It's the best. I'm German, so uh, my, my drug of choice is beer. You know, so when I got sober, that was the thing I craved the most. After 17 years, obviously, I don't get cravings anymore. But, I mean, you know, the first year or two was tough, especially if I was with some friends who were drinking beer. Well, it must have been, it must have been hard to go on the road, too, because it's such a, a trigger and a crutch when you're on the road. Grab a drink, you know, after the show. Well, I relapsed a few times before I got my 17 years. 
you know, because I would take the back lounge since I was the star. But still, you know, you'd smell the pot. You know, you'd smell the beer if you walked to the bathroom because you got to go through all those bunks and shit. Right. You know, and there's broads and stuff. And it's like uh, I lasted two weeks on one tour I'm with, Rich, with Richie Scarlett and, you know, my old band, Fraley's Comet. And uh, I lasted two weeks. And then I, I started partying again. And then when I got home to New York, I reconnected with my uh, sponsor and he said, listen, you got to hire a band that doesn't drink mm-hmm. or you're never going to stay sober. So that's when I started switching personnel and never allowed alcohol or drugs in the dressing room. And that's the way I did. You mentioned, uh, you know, being in great shape for the 96 reunion. Was there ever any talks about you coming back to Kiss prior to that? There's always rumors that you would hear. First time I left Kiss was in 81. Right. I remember them saying, okay, you've resigned yourself to leaving. You know, Paul came up to my house, took me out for lunch and begged me not to leave. You know, I had made up my mind after the success of my solo album that I was much more creative away from them than with them. So I really felt, you know, that I needed to go out on my own. It was a stupid decision when I look back now, because, you know, I lost millions of dollars. But in reality, you know, to me, it was always the music, not the mm-hmm. show. The show was fun. I, I was getting tired of wearing the makeup. Sometimes I've had allergic reactions from the silver. You know, uh, Buddy Epson was supposed to be the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. The only reason he wasn't because he had a serious reaction wow. to the silver makeup. And then they got the other asshole. <laughs> Jack Haley. <laughs> you, what? Is, he, is he an asshole? I never met him. <laughs> no, he's, well, he's been dead for 50 years. I don't know. Not, Ace, don't rip on the tin man. It's a <laughs> they got the other idiot. Yeah. You know, he's a, the other idiot. He's a, he's, yeah. a, he's a good actor. And I thought he, he pulled it off perfectly. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's right. But you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah but you... You had the allergic reaction to the paint, so that was making you not want to wear it anymore. Well, the nice thing about I didn't like the silver makeup, and my face didn't like it either. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get allergic reactions. But, you know, during the course of the show, we'd sweat off the makeup pretty right. well. You know, and at the end of the night, it wasn't hard to take it off with cold cream. You know, it just kind of came right off. You know, mm-hmm. we'd rub our faces with cold cream wait five minutes and then take a towel, rub it off, and then jump in the shower. Gene never jumped in the shower with us for some reason. I don't know why. It was always me, Peter, and Paul. But Ace, so you mentioned that you left in 81. Was there ever any calls to maybe talk about coming back in 87 or 89 or before the actual 96 reunion? We, we didn't really speak much. Gotcha. I didn't want to talk to those guys. I was really focused on putting together Fraley's Comet. And that's a good record. It is. I think it still yeah, holds it up. I agree. John Reagan doesn't drink, who recently passed away. God bless, God bless his soul. Yeah. I was at his funeral with uh, Peter Frampton because he paid bass with Peter Frampton oh. for several years. And he's the guy who introduced me to Peter Frampton. I met his wife, though. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah. I, well, I, I read one Peter's of those book. crazy apparently, clubs. Yeah, apparently one of his ex-wives. I was, I was, lying, I was, she liked, she liked rock and rollers, especially other rock and roll guitar players. Well, she liked, <laughs> she definitely liked guys who had uh two gram, oh, two ounce vial of coke. What, you know? what was the line from Caddyshack? She had a certain zest for living. <laughs> My niece, Stella, had a certain zest for living. Yeah, and, and we're trying to find a stall where we could fool around, but the, everybody was f***ing in the stalls. The bathrooms at some of these after-hours clubs were... Studio 54, it was all, right? It was all co-ed. It wasn't a Studio 54. It might have been at the uh, area club, and they used to have a tank above the uh, bar that had a large shark in it swimming around. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, <laughs> Studio 54 was fantastic i remember one night i was hanging out with keith richards drinking and uh, he's going we're going to an after hours club base you want to go i said 
Sure, I'd love to. He goes, you drinking Jack? I go, no, I don't drink Jack. He goes, well, you can't come unless you drink Jack. <laughs> I said, well, I have other options, okay? I'll, I'll catch you next time around. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, crazy stuff like that happened. Once I was I was sitting, I was went upstairs to the bar, and Nick Nolte, who at the time was a very popular actor, he was sitting alone. So I just grabbed a beer because he was drinking a beer. And I said, hey, you mind if I sit down? You know, I'm, then I'm talking to Nick Nolte and then that guy, uh, Mac. Who was the guy he did the movie with? North Dallas 40. Mac something. Oh, Mac oh, Davis? Mac, Mac Davis. Yeah. Was it Mac Davis, right? Davis yeah. came, I guess he was waiting for Mac Davis, but I already took a seat. <laughs> the three of us are drinking and laughing and telling jokes. I was a great joke teller. I could sit down and knock off 50 to 75 jokes. No problem. I can't remember them now anymore. You know, I don't think to remember them. And that's not going to happen. I was always an outgoing, gregarious drunk. People love to drink with me. And I love to drink with other people. What do you think when you watch back like the famous Tom Snyder interview, which is one of the funniest things still in rock and roll history? You watch that back some, when you watched it back? I've been you- watching it a lot lately because when I go on uh, TikTok, so many there's so many clips of that, just portions of it. Yeah, because the clips aren't long enough for the whole interview. Right. <laughs> so you're like a uh, rock star or something. And I go, no, I'm a plumber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He plays the trout. It plays the trout. Yeah, the bass. Player. He's the bass player. I used to just come up with off. Yeah, and Paul and Gene would get really pissed oh, off man. at me because they just didn't have that swagger and that personality because they didn't drink. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually drank about a half a bottle of vodka before I got there because I was so nervous because it was the first time I was doing live TV. Mm-hmm. Millions of people were going to see me. So, you know, I was getting loaded way before I, I got on the set. But, you know, when you're on a set, in front of millions of people, all of a sudden you kind of sober up a little. Plus, <laughs> right. with a cup with a little ma- marching powder, that didn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely um. one of the funniest, man. One of the greatest <laughs> things ever. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. As we start to wind down here, Ace, you mentioned Paul and Gene a few times. And how did you feel about the last show and, and the kind of not mentioning anybody, not you or Bruce Kulick or, or Peter Chris or Eric Carr or, or anybody? Did that... Did you expect that? Did you? Is it just kind of the way it is now? How, how do you feel about that? I really don't understand it because six, seven, eight months ago, prior to the Garden Show, they was promoting the show saying Ace is going to come up, Bruce, we're going to have like this great reunion of all the guitar players and Kiss. I really believe they said that to help sell tickets. Mm-hmm. Then ironically, like a month before the show, and supposedly it was sold out and they were telling everybody it was sold out. But I have friends that were there and they were saying it still wasn't sold out. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Paul went on uh, Howard Stern and said, if Peter and Ace came up, you know, you might as well call the band Piss. So they went from, you know, six or seven months ago saying, yeah, we're going to play with Ace and Peter to trashing us mm-hmm. after the concert had supposedly sold out Mm -hmm. it it still doesn't sit well with me but you know paul's an egomaniac and uh he changes like the weather he sent me a birthday card that i had written him uh in 96 on an airplane going to detroit for the first uh kiss concert for the reunion tour and it was really sweet and i had told him i loved him and appreciated his friendship. And then he never got back to me after I wrote him a thank you thing. 
two or three days went by. Then I said, you're not going to comment on my rebuttal to the birthday card? He goes, uh, there it is. There's the old days. You know, you scratch the surface a little and resentments pop out. Right. I don't know what his deal is. Ah. I just said to him, you know what? You've been jealous of me your whole fucking life. Hmm. Good luck. God bless. I'll be praying for you. Because I pray for my enemies just like I pray for my friends and family. Well, once again, th- th- that's done, but you got the new record, 10,000 volts. It's one of the best records you've done. And um, what are your plans? Are you going to go, Steve was mentioning rewriting the set list. Are you going to go and do a tour for this? Kind of what, what's your what's your thoughts? Well, Steve has been helping us rewrite the set. I think we're going to add Rock and Roll All Night and Shout It Out Loud. We're going to add the singles, right? Yeah, yeah. The new, we're going to be. You know, you got to remember right now, as far as Kiss songs are concerned, I'm the only game in town. That's right. For the Kiss cover bands. Yeah. And I'm the original guitarist who wrote the solos that Tommy used to play, or at least attempt to. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing I tried to, you know, we're doing the new set list now. And I told Ace, I said, you might not have written rock and roll all night per se as, you know, the songwriter, but your guitar solo alone, that's one of the most iconic Kiss guitar solos ever, along with probably their, you know, their most famous song. You got to be playing this. Right. I want to hear it. You know, as much as all of us hardcore fans love all the deep cuts, that's not, you know, the general population that coming out to the shows. You got to play the hits. And being that he's the only game in town now, you know, we got to celebrate that. I think it's going to be a phenomenal year. We just got him signed up with a new booking agency and things. He's going to probably have, you know, in my opinion, probably the next five years are going to be the biggest years he's ever had, you know, in, in his solo career. Yeah, I'm feeling better than I ever have. And Steve's 100% right. Just the other day, I was practicing rock and roll all night and rehearsing the solo. And I forgot how much fun mm-hmm. that song is to play. Remember the last time just, you played it was what, with Rubik's Cube when we did uh, that yeah. in the city. Yeah, and I, it was awesome. I told I him, I said, dude, you got to be doing this song I every night. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I have brain damage. I'm not going to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> my memory is like, you know, it's, what did I do yesterday? What did I do a week it's ago? It's only minor brain damage. <laughs> minor brain damage. When it comes time to play guitar, I'm yep. there. Last question for you, both to both of you guys. What's your favorite song on on the record, 10,000 Volts? And what's your favorite solo? I haven't really thought about it. I listen to the songs more for content. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with the lead vocals I did. A lot of times... Since he's such a big fan of mine, he would write solos that uh, were similar to my style. Yeah. What's the song that I said, I'm going to let that solo happen? Well, I'm walking on the moon. You know, I basically, you know, anything that I did on this record, Chris, was for being what I always told him, being the biggest Ace fan and Kiss fan. The ideas I brought in were specifically for him. And to make this record that I knew that, hey, if I think this is cool, then all the Kiss fans and all the Ace fans around the world are going to love it. You know, that's why I said, man, I don't do that. I didn't make this record just for me. I made it for all of us. You included, brother. Yeah. You know, and bringing in Joey Casada yeah. and, and PJ playing on it. You know, we got Anton Fig on three songs, which is just a, green, a dream come true to work with him to get the, the dream duo back together. And 10,000 Volts, my co-writer, our co-writer, David Julian, who came up with some of these great guitar parts on that song. And that was really one of the cool things I want to reiterate that Ace was so open once we got past the initial what I call like the dating phase. Sure, of course. Sort of got married. He basically said to me, Steve. Well, I think we're more engaged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Steve, bring in whoever you feel is going to take these songs to the next level. So bring in Joey Casada in to play drums. I had my friend Chris Lester play bass. Like I said, David Julian played some, played some guitar. My I don't keyboard know if I player. Know David, you I? met him, you met him over the summer, okay. but it's just really cool. And again, he Memory. trusted me. He trusted <laughs> me a hundred percent that I was going to, lead the charge and make this record. And at the end of the day, we are just so proud of it. 
the world is finally going to get to get to yeah, do the so whole he, thing. he wrote the solo in uh, Walking on the Moon yeah. as a guide for me. It's so good that I just said, you know what? That's the one. Yeah, We're going to keep the solo yeah, you yeah. wrote and I'm going to give you credit. And he said, no, I don't want credit. I said, you're going to get the credit because I believe in giving credit where credit is due. <laughs> yeah, I'm Hey, Chris, no, no. Solo I'm taking write. this guitar home. That's my paycheck for this. <laughs> yeah, see ya. Well, Ace, congratulations on a great record. And Steve, congratulations for uh, for pulling out some good stuff here. Thank and you, it's been, it's been a blast. We'll see you on the road. Thanks for having me and Steve on. It was a gas and it was a pleasure. You know, don't hesitate to invite us on again. And one more thing. Thank you. Chris, we're doing Origins 3, Kiss My Ace, potentially. And I told him, I said, we want to get you to sing one of the songs, one of the duets on the record. So hopefully you'll be up for that. Happens. I'm in. It'd be, it'd be a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thank you, Steve. Chris. Chris. <laughs>